Hi, this is Ruin Ortega, one of the hosts of Cantrips and Coffee, the tabletop show where we review different tabletop systems to let you know where to spend your money. You're about to listen to a brand new episode of Tale of the Manticore. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, Season 2. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here, you will find the unpredictability of old-school RPG paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. Chapter 8 is action-packed. The party is split, with Shawnee and Phelan at the Blue Heron Trading Company warehouse, while Yellowfly and Tamlin infiltrate the Tower of the City Watch. We begin with Shawnee, who has crit failed an attack roll and found herself doused with the Alchemist's fire. She falls from the loft onto a barrel of water, which extinguishes her, but also knocks her out cold. Things look very bad for her indeed when the narrative shifts to catch up with Yellowfly and Tamlin. The duo are already inside the tower and headed to the third floor, where they expect to find the captain's office. They do find it, but it is locked and neither of the two men have any skill in picking locks, though Yellowfly does try. They don't have long to contemplate their failure before a second chance presents itself. The fire from the warehouse is spotted, and alarm bells ring as city watchmen stream out of the tower, leaving it all but empty. They head to the tower's roof, where Yellowfly repels down the side and enters the captain's office through the window. Once inside, he hides the medallion and also discovers a city map with various locations circled. One of them is the Blue Heron Warehouse. Now that's strange. I wonder what that could mean. Unfortunately, Yellowfly was seen going in through the captain's window, but Tamlin is aware of this and heads down to intercept the lone tower guard who makes his way up to investigate. Finally, through the point of view of an old drunk, we see Phelan carrying the unconscious body of Shawnee out of the warehouse to safety. Chapter 9. Part 1. Day 2. Late afternoon. Wedrin had his short sword drawn as he crept up the winding stairs. He remembered the two men who had gone up to deliver a letter to the captain, but his first thought was not that the tower was being burgled. That didn't make any sense. It was the middle of the day, and the place had been full of guards. Had been. He thought of the fire in the cobbles and wondered if the two events were somehow connected. It was certainly quite a coincidence. Still, he very much hoped he was reading the situation wrong. Who? Who's up there? That you, Tarek? No answer. Perhaps he should wait until the others returned. No, he couldn't do that. It could be hours before they came back, and what would he tell them? That he had done nothing the whole time? Like a coward? Not an option. Well, I'm coming up. Step by step, he made it to the second floor. He stuck his head through the archway that separated stairwell from hallway and peered about. All was still. The door to the barracks was open. 
Well, he had seen the man climb through the third story window, so why would anybody be here? He pulled back inside and continued up the tight corkscrew of the stairs until he reached the third level. He felt very alone and vulnerable as he poked his head slowly out through the archway there. And that is when Tamlin struck. Wedren never saw the blow coming. Entering combat. Instead of going to meet Yellowfly at the door to the captain's office, Tamlin has decided to change the plan and deal with this new threat, a threat of which he knows Yellowfly is unaware. When Wedrin the guard pokes his head out of the stairwell, Tamlin is flush against the wall. As soon as he sees the guard's helmet, he swings his already raised mace. I'm going to award a surprise round on a roll of 1 to 4 on a d6 instead of the usual 1 to 2. Let's find out if Wedrin is surprised. I've got a 6. Wedrin is being too cautious and is not surprised. He sees the form of Tamlin's body just in time to pull himself back into the stairwell, and the mace whistles by harmlessly. Ha! Then he pushes himself into the hall, spinning about and thrusting with his short sword. It is round one. Initiative. Wedrin. A four. Tamlin. A one. Tamlin is thrown off balance by his own swing, and the guard, no stranger to a fight, takes advantage. Somewhere you're not supposed to be, I think. He says, grinning humorlessly, before lashing out with his blade. Tamlin has an armor class of 15 with his chainmail and dex bonus. He does not carry a shield presently. The roll. A four. Tamlin jags to the side and now has his back to the stairs. He counterattacks Wedrin, who, also wearing a chain shirt, has an AC of 14. Let's determine the man's hit points, too. Looks like he only has four hit points. Tamlin's attack roll is... a five. It's miss for miss in round one as the combatants find their feet. At this point, Yellowfly will hear the commotion from the hall. He unlocks the office door and rushes to help, but he can't get there until next round, which happens to be right now. It is round two. Initiative. Wedrin. A four. Tamlin and Yellowfly. A five. Wedrin suddenly finds himself sandwiched between two enemies. He had thought the one he was fighting was the same one he had seen go in the window, so he's caught completely off guard. He's going to pay for this error, as Yellowfly will get a plus two to his attack rolls. Tamlin now smiles back at the man and makes his move. 19. Tamlin swipes up with a furious backhand and connects for... 3 damage. <laughs> Weldrin has just one point left. Can Yellowfly finish him off? A plus two on his roll of... 17. That's a hit. There's no need to even roll for damage. Wedrin stumbles back from Tamlin's blow right into the point of Yellowfly's sword. <clears throat> the blade slides in through the small of his back. His eyes go wide with shock and pain for a brief moment, and then he is dead. The two men look down at the body, catching their breath and wondering what to do about their new problem. They cannot leave it behind. Any evidence of their having been here at all would undermine the mission. They couldn't frame the captain if it was known the tower's security had been compromised. As usual, it was Yellowfly who thought of a solution. You take the shoulders. I'll take the feet. Let's get him to the roof. No, not like that. Flip him over so he doesn't bleed all over the floor. Luckily, there wasn't too much blood spilled. They would have to clean up later, but for now, they needed to move the body. Getting Wedrin's corpse up to the roof was not easy, but the two men managed it through a combination of willpower and ungentleness. Once on the roof, they leaned the body against a battlement, and Yellowfly turned to go back down the stairs. Before he left, he gave Tamlin an instruction. 
I need you to take a good long piss over the side. If someone sees you, so much the better. Tamlin clued in and unbuckled his trousers as Yellowfly descended to the third level once again. A few minutes later, he returned carrying two bottles of the captain's wine. He drank some and instructed Tamlin to do the same. A few splashes went on the guard's tunic and onto his lifeless mouth. The rest went over the side, followed by the body, which dropped gracelessly onto the stones, forty feet below. I think we had better go, said Yellowfly. Tamlin just nodded. They didn't speak again until they had passed Thury's gate. Before leaving the tower, they had taken a few minutes to clean the floor and themselves of all signs of violence. They'd found a small cask of water in the barracks which had helped. There were spare tunics there as well, but Yellowfly knew they could not take them, for they might be missed. Instead, Tamlin had held a bucket to his chest to conceal the smear of blood on it as they passed through the gate. Yellowfly's uniform was relatively clean. As soon as they were able, they moved off the main roads and entered a small street and started heading south towards the Warren. The great cathedral to Vesaluna loomed huge and beautiful to their right. Once he was sure they were alone on the street, Yellowfly turned to Tamlin and said, Well done, my friend. Tamlin knew that Yellowfly appreciated an ally who could think for themselves and was referring to his having deviated from the plan. Thanks, Fly. It seemed like the right move. I must have been blessed by Shatun because I saw that you hadn't seen that god when he looked up and... Tam stopped talking. In fact, he stopped dead in his tracks. Yellowfly walked on a few more steps before he realized his companion was no longer at his side. Tam? Tamlin was staring straight down at his feet, an expression of wonder spreading across his face. At the toe of his boot, some little metal thing was lying on the road. It glinted in the evening light. Tamlin crouched down and picked it up. A key. He breathed. What good is a key if you don't know what it opens? asked Yellowfly. It's a message. A message from Shatun himself. Every priest of his is called the same way. You find a key without a lock. It is the divine invitation. Yellowfly furrowed his brow. He wasn't so sure there was any special meaning in this. He reckoned he had found any number of orphaned keys during his life and had discarded them as useless garbage. But it seemed Tamlin did not share that view, for the man was looking to the sky, and Yellowfly saw him mouthing the words. I accept. Hi, I'm Steve Morrison, and I'm a writer and game master who has combined my love of stories and tabletop gaming into a solo actual play series called Errant Adventures. Join me as I explore different stories in different genres using a variety of my favorite tabletop role-playing games. In Season 1, I use Ironsworn Starforged to discover the adventures of Lucius Tarquin in the dangerous space of the Forge. For Season 2, I tell a story inspired by the Black Company books in my own fantasy world. Join members of the mercenary company The Crest as they take contracts in the seaside city of Hartvale. I've got short runs of games like Colossal, Pilgrimage of the Sun Guard, and more on the way. Whether a long-form campaign or a short series, Errant Adventures features stories told at the speed of dice. So join me on the podcatcher of your choice as I discover where the story goes next. After the events at the City Watch Tower and the Blue Heron Trading Company warehouse, the PCs lay low for five full weeks. This is for several reasons. One is that Cole and Shawnee are both terribly hurt. Mechanically speaking, they only need a few days to recover their lost hit points, even with the painfully slow healing times detailed in the BX rules. But realistically, a few days is not enough. Furthermore, after their respective crimes, the PCs need to hide out and let the heat die down. 
To facilitate all of this, the Lord Rabbit insists that, after a few days, the quintet relocates to Domor. I wonder how pleased their boss is with the mixed success of their missions. Let's make a quick reaction roll to find out. Ooh, a 5 on a 2d6 is not great. Lord Rabbit is worried by Shawnee's recklessness and unimpressed by the murder of the City Watch Guard, which he considers sloppy work. The PCs do not get any payment for their accomplishments. Worse, Yellowfly must spend 150 gold pieces of their combined treasure while in Domor. These funds partially go to cover their lodgings, which are naturally at the Happy Harpy, but the majority of the money goes to Silmer Rodson. He provides poultices and salves that, while expensive, bring the injured pair back to health with hardly any scarring to speak of. Let's quickly check in with each of the PCs and see how they have spent this downtime. Shane has spent most of her time resting. Now she's on her feet. She's moving a little less gracefully than before, but she's doing well. The young rogue leveled up in the last episode and gained three hit points. Her various thief skills each went up by a few percent, too. But there's one thing I still haven't done. I haven't yet rolled for stat increases. Now this is a rules hack I use in Tell of the Manticore, which allows for, at each level, a 1 in 6 chance per stat for an increase of 1 point. Let's get going. Will her strength increase? She currently has an 11 in this stat. A 6 on the die means it will. The roll. A 5. No increase. How about intelligence? A 3 is a no. Wisdom? A 1. Dexterity? I've got a 2. Constitution? That would be ironic, but you know what they say, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. The roll. A five. Close, but no. Charisma? Last chance. A two. No stat increases for Shawnee, and perhaps that makes good sense. Cole would have leveled up today, but he'll have to wait since he sat out the last three episodes. Well, he'll get there eventually. Cole is generally listless throughout this time. He wants to get back into action, but there is nothing for him to do. So, there's nothing further to report about Cole. Let's move on to Tamlin. Tamlin has recently had a bona fide revelation. He levels up in this episode, and what's really exciting is that he finally comes into the powers of his class. He's now a second level cleric, and as such, will gain access to a first level spell, and that's in addition to new hit points and potential stat increases. Let's tackle these in reverse order. Stat increases first. Strength. A two, no increase. Intelligence. A five. Wisdom. A six. <laughs> That's practically poetic. His plus two bonus to saves versus magic stays the same, but it is clear that he has found his calling. Dexterity. Wow, another six. Fourteen becomes fifteen. Again, no mechanical change here, but these are fantastic rolls. Chartoon is really smiling upon Tamlin. How about constitution? A five. Oof, that was close. Almost three in a row. Charisma. A 1. Now for new hit points. With a constitution score of 8, he suffers a minus 1 penalty here, and so will min out at 2. The roll. A 2. The min out will indeed kick in, and his new hit point score is a modest 7 points. Tamlin's not the toughest guy around, that's for sure. As for spells, he'll be able to take his choice of several. There are 8 listed in the rules, and I don't want to be boring, but Cure Light Wounds is pretty much a must-have, so typically, I think he'll pray for and prepare that one. Let's check in on Yellowfly. You guessed it, he also levels up today. As a fighter, he gets a d8 for a hit die. A good roll for new hit points would be very welcome. Here goes. A seven! Yes, that's great, I'll take it. With a new total of 15, Yellowfly is now extremely hardy. Let's see if there'll be any stat increases. Strength. 
a six. Has he spent his time over the last five weeks working out? I don't know, but his 11 becomes a 12. Intelligence. A one. Wisdom. Another six. Holy smokes, these are great rolls. Let's see, 13 becomes 14. No changes mechanically, but pretty cool. Dexterity. A one. Constitution. Another one. Uh, I think I've used up all the luck. Charisma. A three. Yeah, the luck has dried up. But no complaints here. I really beat the odds with those rolls overall. As summer turns into autumn, Yellowfly spends much of his time reminiscing with Danik and helping him run the tavern. He waits every day for a message from Lord Rapid, but so far, there has been no word. Last but not least is Phelan Orla. Phelan will not level up this episode. Magic users require more time, so he'll have to wait just a little longer. He will, however, make the transition to PC today. For that reason, I need to iron out a few details. I never found out which spell he knows, or even determined his hit points. But I've been in DM mode here for a while now, and I think, to keep things interesting, those things will have to wait. And as for what Phelan has been doing these past five weeks, well, let's return to the story to find out. Chapter 9 Part 2 Day 37 Morning Phelan sat by the window, in the dining room of the Happy Harpy Inn and Tavern. He was lingering over a breakfast of hot peas porridge, leftovers from last night's dinner, and a bowl of apple slices with honey dribbled over them. To his left were the sounds and smells of the woods. To his right, a woman quietly tuning a lute. She'd performed the night before and would perform again today. But for the two of them, the place was empty. As the lutist idly plucked her instrument, Phelan reflected on the past month. The first two weeks in Domor had been hard. Shanae had needed constant care. Her bandages had needed changing several times a day. He had also applied the poultices supplied by the town's apothecary, Silmer Rotson. Shanae had also needed someone to simply be with her, as she had been unable to leave her bed. Phelan had barely left her side, in fact. By the end of that first fortnight, the two of them had grown close. A true friendship had developed. Phelan now felt as though he were part of Yellowfly's little family. The man had started teasing him at some point, dubbing him Catsbane in reference to his life-changing run-in with the royal niece, Bellagrette. The name had stuck, and now everyone called him that. Phelan pretended offense, but secretly, he liked it. It meant he was part of something. He had never been part of anything before. He turned his attention to the window. The smell of dried leaves made the air sharp. A pair of squirrels chased each other up and down the trunk of a nearby tree, and it made him smile. The sky was bright, and he felt content. On the chair next to his was a book on various types of toxic fungi. He had borrowed it from the apothecary and was about to resume his reading when he saw Shawnee emerge from the kitchen and cross the room toward him, carrying a steaming bowl of breakfast. She slid into the chair opposite his and began to eat wordlessly. He asked her if she had slept well. Hmm? Not bad, she replied around a mouthful of porridge. Shawnee looked different now. She had cut her hair short so that it followed her jawline. Her skin had healed tremendously well from the second-degree burns she had sustained. When he had carried her from the building and found the empty stable where they had hidden out the first few hours after the fire, she had been in terrible condition, and he'd wondered if she might die. Her skin had been red in some places, looking wet and shiny. In others, it had been covered in angry blisters. Much of her hair and some of her clothing had burned away. They had waited in the stable until nightfall. By then, she had regained consciousness and was able to walk, albeit with great difficulty. They'd used the cover of night and Shawnee's knowledge of the city's alleyways to get back to their apartment unmolested. 
If anyone had seen them, they would have looked like a pair of staggering drunks, he supposed. They'd moved at a crawl, though. It had taken hours to cross a distance that otherwise would have taken 30 minutes. Phelan clearly remembered how starkly alive he had felt that night. Do you think we'll have word from Silmoral today? Shawnee shrugged. Impossible to say. Might be today. Might be in a week or next month. Phelan nodded. Shawnee, how long has this feud between the guilds been going on? Hmm. The young rogue looked over her shoulder to make sure the lutist was not close enough to hear. Satisfied, she continued, but kept her voice low all the same. About a year, I suppose. The church had a few members go missing. Nothing special in that, to be honest. About this time last year, I think the church really started to take notice when Robin Geary's entire gang disappeared. Robin Gary? The name was unfamiliar to Phelan. Geary, Shawnee corrected. A thoroughly horrid man. I mean, really nasty. Did collections for the church and showed up whenever muscle was needed. Occasional torture or two, I've heard, and I have no great difficulty believing it's true. He and his men apparently went thundering out of the stables one day, headed east. The horses came back in the evening, riderless. It was shortly after that that we started hearing about this new guild. The Weeping Eye, supplied Phelan. Right. Since then, there have been occasional dust-ups and struggles over territory, but things are different now. Strategic leverage at higher levels, political involvement, targeted assassinations. These are all new developments, and I think it's going to get a lot worse. You think this will be a war? Oh, yes, my dear Catsbane. I think there will be blood in the streets. Chapter 9, Part 3, Day 37, Morning. Later on, he would pray for forgiveness. But for now, Brother Ligo simply could not help himself. They were alone in one of the workrooms of the Church of the Sacred Flame, the last and now only Church of Sidal in Silmoral. Brother Ligo was standing at the window on the pretense of wanting fresh air, while Sister Sivan sat at the desk, demurely working on her calligraphy and transcribing a hymn from one roll of parchment to another. But Brother Ligo was not facing the outdoors. He was guiltily admiring the way Sister Sivan's long, dark hair cascaded down the curve of her back. She was wearing the typical costume of a novice initiate, a sleeveless white robe of thin wool. It was cinched at the waist by a hempen rope, and this made the flare of her hips an intoxicating sight. Brother Ligo raked her body with his eyes, and then willed himself to look away, berating himself for his weakness. As if his ogling wasn't inappropriate enough, at only 25 years old, she was young enough to be his daughter. There is a word for a man like me, he thought. Letra. <clears throat> he cleared his throat, as if that would help, and returned to the long table where Sister Savan toiled away at her looping and spiraling script. Looking over her shoulder at the work, he settled into the chair beside hers. You've much improved since you've arrived, he lied. Sister Savan had joined the Church of Sidal some six months ago. She was a hard worker, but it seemed she had no talent for letters, and she did not improve with practice. Remember, the thicker parts are only on the downstrokes. This piece of advice caused her to turn and smile at Brother Ligo, who felt himself melt. She had large brown eyes, freckles, and blushing lips. Like this. Brother Ligo picked up his own quill and demonstrated a capital letter R. 
Sister Sivan shifted in her chair so she could get a better look, and Brother Ligo was simultaneously shaken and delighted when the skin of her elbow touched his forearm and remained there. He imagined he could feel the warmth of her flesh through that minuscule contact. He cleared his throat again. <clears throat> Don't be afraid to lift the quill. Calligraphy is not a single fluid motion. His own voice sounded small to him. This was advice he had given her many times over. Yeah, on the P, make a downstroke and then lift the pen to complete the letter. She nodded and went back to work, her arms still touching his. As she bent in concentration, her tongue peeked out from between her lips ever so slightly. How pink and delicate it looked. How he would like to... No. He was an anointed cleric of the Church of Sadal. He must be stronger than this. He arched his back, pretending to work out a kink, and deliberately shifted several inches to the left, breaking contact with the beautiful young woman. She appeared not to notice and continued to practice. Slow down, especially during the transitions. See here? He pointed to a problem spot, a letter G. The letter is too heavy at the bottom. Brother Ligo could hear that his own voice had become thick when he said the word bottom. How could a letter G be so erotic? Dear Sadal, was this a test of his devotion? If it is, he thought to himself, I am failing it. Once again, he returned his attention to the work at hand. After a few more minutes under his tutelage, Sister Savan arched her back and stretched, mimicking his previous movements. Brother Ligo was once again helplessly enthralled to her shape, but the situation became much worse when she settled back into her writing. For as she leaned over, with her left elbow on the table, Brother Ligo caught a glimpse of something cream-colored through the sleeve of Sister Savan's robe. It was the bottom curve of her breast. It was the most stirring thing he had ever seen, and a sudden aching sensation overtook him. He stared at it, stealing the image like a thief, greedily wanting to lock it inside his memory. Praying for forgiveness would not be enough. Tomorrow he would do penance. He would put pebbles in his shoes and wear them all day. The pain would remind him of his transgression with every step. Still, he did not look away, and he looked too long. For when she turned her head to ask him a question, she caught him staring. But she did not stiffen, nor did she blush like a virgin or move to cover herself. No, she remained in that position, allowing the view to continue, as a smile formed on her perfect rose-colored lips. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you enjoy the show and would like to help support it, there are several ways to do so. You can recommend the show online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. You can pick up One Shot in the Dark or Encyclopedia Manticorica on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. My gratitude to the many of you who have offered up your support. As always, I'd like to read out one of your kind reviews. This one is on Apple Podcasts. It was posted by JWAR5. JWAR5 writes, Hands down the best old school podcast I've found. If you want to know what playing BXD&D is like, look, well, listen, no further. This is the only actual play I've ever been able to listen to. Characters have compelling and believable backstories that emerge in flashbacks. World building is very good, and some seems to come up on the fly, which is in keeping with the old school style. My favorite part is chaos rules. The dice decide many things. Characters live and die by the roll of the dice, as it should be. Give it a listen. You won't be disappointed. What a fantastic endorsement, JWAR5. Thank you so much for posting that review. You're right, by the way. A lot of world building does indeed happen on the fly. 
It's amazing to me how some throwaway comment, description, or bit of color can return in a very important way later on in the show. It also makes it feel more like a game to me to ad-lib at least some of the text as I'm writing and leave some room for spontaneity. Like you said, chaos rules. Thanks also to my wonderful cast. I have three returning actors in this episode. Back in the role of Wedrin, the City Watch Tower Guard, is Andrew Fling of Tumble Die Games. Check out Tumble Die's upcoming RPG core rules, Trove Foundation. Returning from Season 1 in the role of Brother Ligo, the cleric of Sadal, is Hodag RPG. And of course, once again, in the role of Phelan Orla, aka Catsbane, is Kai Allen. Thank you very much, guys. For listeners who use socials and would like to reach out, I'm on the usual ones, at Manticore Tale on Twitter and Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. And there's always email. Write in with your comments or questions to taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. The story will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Lies and Half-Truths is original genre fiction written and performed by me, A.P. Weber. It's adventure. Snarls. A blur of snapping fangs and bristled fur. He pointed the third... Fantasy. In the age of the immortal emperor Perennius Zet, when the gods of old slept indolent in their forgotten temples and the children of men emerged. Sci-fi. Red Ellis dropped some coins in the slot and put the receiver to his ear. Even a little existential horror noir. Still kicking and clawing and making constricted cries. Davies struggled for a long time. Lies and Half-Truths. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Or go to apweber.com. That's A-P-W-E-B-E-R dot com. He spun around, catching a prodding spear in his mighty hands and thrusting its butt into the chest of the fishman.